Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and abuse of power in Washington, D.C. And I'm joined, as always, by Eric Eggers, a vice president at the Government Accountability Institute and author. And we have a very special guest today. We are going to be looking at the military brass in Washington, D.C. Oftentimes we focus our corruption on lobbyists, politicians, the swamp. Uh, this time we're going to look at the military brass. And joining us is uh, Jack Basobic. Uh, he's a former naval intelligence officer. He's now a journalist. Uh, he's a senior editor at Human Events. He's written several books uh, that I would recommend you check out. Uh, and he also actually worked in China for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is interesting uh, as we talk about these national security issues. So, you know, Jack, it's very interesting. We've had this testimony uh, where the generals have come up and tried to explain what happened in Af- Afghanistan. Uh, we also have, of course, the controversy with General Milley uh, about what he might have said to the Chinese based on uh, what has been reported by Bob Woodward. And you've had a pretty strong reaction to this. I mean, you believe that what General Milley did uh, was unconscionable, uh, that there should be consequences. Tell us a little bit about how you came to that conclusion and how this might relate to the oath that you take, you certainly took it when you went into the Navy, uh, General Milley took it. How does what he do, did contradict or contravene the oath of office that he took when he went into the military? Yeah, Peter, thanks so much for having me on. Huge fan. Uh, I think I've read uh, every word that you guys have ever put yeah. out. So just uh, really excited to be here. Thanks, and, John. you know, when you look at the situation with Milley, and again, we are faced with a situation where we've got Woodward's report of what was said that he claims is based on transcripts versus Millie's kind of um, he's toe tapping, right? He's toe tapping around it. He said, Oh, I never did anything to break my oath. I never said anything that was beyond that. Right. Well, I think that we need to see the transcripts, or I yeah. think that somebody in the Senate, you know, if this is something that would be considered classified, then you, you know, you give it to a classified briefing, you know, briefing, hearing, whatever needs to be done. Because what we're told, and again, Woodward says that he has the transcripts, which I think is interesting because Woodward is known to be uh, a little fast and loose with some stuff every <laughs> once in a while, or right. he uses sources that maybe. Uh, you know, potentially have an axe to grind, this sort of thing. But specifically when it comes to these phone calls, which are held between Milley and we're told the head of the PLA, uh, the People's Liberation Army, the Red, a former Red Army of China, that first he makes a call in October, then he makes a call in January. Uh, the call in October is regarding the, what he views as saber rattling from Trump at these rallies regarding a potential attack on China. And remember, at the time, it was the Wuhan lab was really yeah. the big thing in the news that was really driving all this. Interestingly enough, we don't hear any questions 
in the transcript from Millie to the PLA asking about what was the PLA's involvement in the Wuhan lab? What was going on with Sher Zhang Li? Why were you funding uh, these these studies? Do you have any evidence of this? Um, kind of interesting. Seems like potentially a national security question that could be asked right there. I mean, you'd hope that our U.S. military leaders are trying to uh, solve this along with the rest of our government, and yet we, we don't get any indication of that from Millie. Second, we have a phone call that took place in January, and it's that call in January where he's where he reportedly said that if the U.S. is going to attack, and specifically with the use of nuclear weapons, that I will give you foreknowledge of that, that we will not do something <laughs> surreptitiously. This is very scary because yeah. Yeah. it puts in a position where – He's he's almost it, it sounds and again going off of the transcript and I, I kind of prefaced it and couched it with all of that you know we have what we have right to go off and Millie has not provided any more additional information that if the PLA keep in mind that China is constantly reading messages into our messages when they put out statements when a Chinese general or a Chinese politician member of the Politburo etc puts out a message there's always very very deep layers of meaning several layers of meaning for the internal the external audiences right and so my worry is that could they have miscalculated could they have viewed general Milley's statement to them itself as a threat Right. Keep in mind, from their perspective, you know, Milley is Trump's top officer. There's no, you know, we view it as a split between Milley and Trump when we can see lots of evidence of that. But there's no knowledge on our end that the Chinese look at it that way. They could look at it as being said that, oh, well, Trump made him make this call because actually they do want to commit some sort of attack in the near term. And this is meant to uh, meant to throw us off. And so therefore, we have to be belligerent in the South China Sea, maybe uh, do something against some some poor Fili you know, Filipino fishermen, or potentially make a crackdown, uh, further crackdown in Hong Kong or another crackdown vis-a-vis -vis the island of Taiwan, right? So many potential issues here, where when you combine all of those questions with uh, what we do know about his statements, his flip-flopping, his back and forth when it comes to Afghanistan, Bagram Airfield, everything that took place, calling it a logistic, a logistic success, a logistic <laughs> success when you've got literally Afghans uh, falling from airplanes, child yep. brides being brought over, nobody's being vetted along with the abusers um, and, and calling it, well, it was still a logistic success. Like, okay, I, I, I get it, right? You know, this is the larger problem of having a general officer corps that is brought up to, you know, to read metrics and to study, you know, the, uh, you know, the data and the statistics, but they're not really focused on winning missions or overall military objectives anymore. And so they can, they can, they, they can fail, but they can tell you in, in exquisite detail just how much they're failing. And it seems like what we've got. So I'm, I'm really at the position and I set it on, um, I do the human events podcast now daily. I just just taped it for today. And one thing I said was, look, you know, I, I'm at the point where let's let's start looking for replacements. And the fact of the matter is that that's a Senate confirmable position. So you need somebody that probably um, a good number of the moderate Democrats and maybe even some Republicans are going to have to vote for. So if people are out there looking at this to say, look, whoever becomes the next CJCS, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, we cannot have another Millie. We need somebody who looks at this from a position of authority. This is why you have the issue with Lieutenant Colonel Scheller right now. Right. He's the only guy that lost his job over it because he's somebody who spoke out saying, how can I ask me? He's a Marine officer. How can I ask my Marines under me for accountability when they can look at the top and see that there's none there?
No, it's such a great point. And I think you spoke to exactly what the crux of the issue is. We did a podcast a few weeks ago on the larger Afghanistan issue. And one of the trends that emerged was, is that everyone there seems to be focused on the careerism, right? I mean, you talk about like the metrics and the data. I mean, the one piece of data that they don't seem to be worried about is our one loss record in actual wars over the last 50 years. But you have this idea where the, the people in charge, they seem to be rewarded and promoted because they continue to pass off positive reports from the ground, regardless of whether or not that's actually true with the reality. And so I guess I would just say, yeah, do you, you know, we're hearing these trends about that the, the generals were meeting weekly about uh, you know transgender issues, racism, sexual assault, harassment, but maybe not on actual readiness. Do you feel like this is another example of they're focused more on political issues and not actually milita- militarily relevant things? And this is maybe a byproduct of that. Well, I saw this from my own vantage as a member of the intel community, someone who uh, was in the field. I did a deployment to Guantanamo Bay where we were focused on terrorism. Uh, I was in the uh, counterterrorism, obviously. I was in the uh, interrogation cell as interrogator analyst. So that's something where we're working directly with uh, Taliban, al-Qaeda guys. And, you know, we would say we would get information, but we would always say that the closer it gets to the flag, right, the closer it gets to D.C., the more politicized, the more sanitized, the more watered down and the more shaped and twisted Hmm. the information gets. Right? We get raw intelligence. This guy said this. Right. And then maybe you go to analyze that by saying, well, you know, can we back that up? Can we do we have imagery? Do we have signals intelligence? Can we can we pinpoint that his cell phone was in that area to try to verify, you know, the veracity of some of these claims? But it's always that in, in the human intelligence game and in humans, it's always, you know, he said, she said, right. And then you're shifting, you're sifting through uh, what is true, what you can verify, what you assess, and then where that gets you. But when it comes to Washington, D.C., they use that process of analysis to kind of arrive at the, at the answer that they already want. They arrive yeah. at the answer that D.C. already wants, the one that they want to get with. So there's no, there's no general sense of actually talking to somebody who's got boots on the ground, you know, that's got, that's got dust on their uniform saying, hey, this is what's going to happen if you pull out rapidly. This is what's going to happen here. We cannot do this, sir. You know, we, 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 have, to, we have to have the 2,500. Um, then you've got Biden saying that they didn't say it. They said they did say it. So again, we've got no information here. And it really is a situation where when you get that first star in your military rank, and this started under, um, really started under Obama with the war colleges. So the war college system was used, and I've spoken about this before, was used to kind of decide who would become, you know, if that's your mid-tier officer corps, but that was sort of the decision of who's going to be on that track to make it to the admiral general level, and then who's going to, you know, kind of be sloughed off and maybe make it to 05, maybe make it to 06, but they're really not going for that high that higher command, that higher echelon. And it was always who was best at parroting the worldview that was being pushed down by Washington. Uh, the, the same way, by the way, and of course, they go for the colleges, right? This is the same thing that we've seen happen with uh, private universities, with the private sector, with the Ivy Leagues. Uh, so it really doesn't make much difference. It really is, is quite logical that they would use the same type of system for the U.S. military. No, I think that's a great point, Jack. And and let's focus a little bit on General Milley, because certainly uh, the Woodward book and the comments. By the way, it's there, a Princeton guy. So yeah. <laughs> <double whammy> there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but let's focus on him for a bit, because it's not just a question of him being political and I think, uh, you know, damaging national security with these sort of back channel comments with the Chinese. I mean, 
He's just been consistently wrong. I mean, he called the drone strike righteous that, of course, ended up killing uh, children and parents, not terrorists. But going back to Afghanistan, a lot of people forget he was the de- deputy commander in Afghanistan. And, you know, you said that they they get uh, promoted by sort of parroting what the political leadership wants to hear. Here's what Milley said consistently about Afghanistan. Afghanistan is on the vote road to victory, on the road to winning, on the road to creating a stable Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Uh, he said that in 2013. A couple of years later, um, when there were reports of corruption and ineffectiveness in the Afghan military, he said, quote, this army, meaning the Afghan army and this police force have been very, very effective in combat against the insurgents every single day. The Afghans have successfully defended the majority of the population of this country. And so my question to you, Jack, is he's wrong. He's had these huge missteps. It used to be back in the day. It happened to a General Westmoreland uh, over Vietnam. Uh, it happened to MacArthur. You could argue whether these were, you know, correct firings or not. Used to be generals actually got fired when they made mistakes. The last general I remember getting fired was Stanley McChrystal because he made some not so nice comments about Barack Obama. But when are military officers, generals, going to actually get fired? If they're engaged in in uh, you know effect ineffective or incom- incompetent uh, behavior, well, keep in mind even even uh, I'll throw another one at you um, that Patton Patton was yes. actually reprimanded yep. for um, essentially striking one of his um, one of his subordinates. Um, now you might you might say that that wasn't necessarily a mistake. You might even say it being a little politically incorrect. You might say that MacArthur didn't necessarily make a mistake. But what what MacArthur did do was publicly at while he was prosecuting the war to come out publicly against the president like that. Mm. And that obviously that is a violation of the chain yeah. of command. The yeah. same way that I would say that what, uh, and keep in mind, I, and I, I will go back and not, I'm not a huge McChrystal supporter, but I will yeah. point out that what he said was not public in that, after that, uh, with that Rolling Stone situation. Right. So, right. Um, you know, there were these, this idea that his comments were against the commander in chief, but this was something that was like off the record. I believe it was at a, at a dinner or something that the reporter happened to be at. So, right. you know, I, I don't believe that we should be, you know, policing our military that way in terms of, of purging political ranks. But of course he had to pay the price for that. Then you've got military on the other hand, though, who is constantly undermining Trump in public. He even mentioned something, and this hasn't really been uh, touched upon so much, but he did admit it yesterday in that hearing that he sat down for a number of these books. Right. And was having discussions and interviews. Unbelievable. And so the real question is, uh, why is, what the heck is going on there? I can understand if you're retired and you want to sit down for an interview, fine. But while you're active duty, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs that's sitting down for that, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. I think it's actually good. And I think it's actually good. And, and maybe I, I, I think kind of sideways sometimes because uh, I think that because all of this is playing out in public, you can see it. It's not behind closed doors and that the American people can see this on full display now. Something that, you know, normally either either you or I, whatever, when we talk about corruption, right, it can be very nebulous, uh, right, it can be very right. dry sometimes. Well, it's numbers on paper. You know, there's this company, there's that company, there's Theranos with, uh, with Mattis, et cetera, et cetera biggest game in the world. And, you know, but it, but when you're trying to explain it to people, you know, um, 
Somebody once said that nobody, you know, you know, if you want to have to explain something in politics to somebody, you have to use the metric of can you explain it to a guy at a noisy bar, at a loud <laughs> bar, right? And, I, and I've always said, uh, and, and with Milley, he just provides us this great example, both under Trump and now under Biden. So it really makes it kind of a bipartisan thing. And I think it's great. I think it's actually great and very, quite useful for going forward. And you, by the way, you have even Tammy Duckworth, who's no conservative Republican, was excoriating him. Uh, Senator Wyden, I believe, was out there from Oregon was excoriating him for a lot of this. And so it's definitely something where you can see that he's lost the confidence of both sides as well as the chain of command. So then why do you think it's a good thing, right? Like what's your best case scenario for moving forward? Because if you're right. Well, I think it's a good thing because it's getting the American people uh, well, it's good for two things, right? Number one, um, with Trump kind of not in the discussion right now, he's not part of this news cycle as much as the you know the left tries to to, to push him in. Um, it takes the sort of like anti-Trump hatred that exists for a certain um, portion of the population. It takes that out of the equation, and they say, "Well, this isn't a Trump thing. This is a, this is all on Millie, right? This is one guy, and it, you are confronted with it, and you have to face it." head on and there's no there's no mediating level of where they can say oh well you know Trump did this so they had to he had to do it that way no 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 when you look at Afghanistan particularly it's all on his shoulders and so it gives people a sense of what exactly the heck is going on with our military? You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Because they look like Patton. They sound like Patton. They've got the, the, you know, the medals and the awards and the stars. And we just don't seem to be winning wars anymore. And we don't seem to have America in uh, successful anymore. And we want to know why that is. And as American people, we should look at the leaders of our military the same way that we look at our politicians. Again, we are a free people. We are a free society. And we have a civilian control of the military. And I think that's absolutely an essential role. It's been part of American, the American experience since the days of, of General Washington, back when it was Colonel Washington. Uh, that was a, a, absolutely something that he instituted. And so I think for pe people have kind of had this on autopilot for a really long time, the General Corps, where you've had this game of, you know, well, I get done and then I go on the board of, you know, whatever defense contractor and then I'm on Raytheon or on this, I'm on that and I'm getting the contracts. That was the whole thing with Madison Theranos, by the way. It wasn't wasn't that he believed in this ridiculous idea that you could get a, a full blood work done from a drop of blood that doesn't make sense <laughs> on his face, right? It was right. because he was going to get a cut of the contracts that were being paid by the U.S. Marine Corps. That's obviously what was going on there. So, so let's broaden this a little bit. We've been talking about the military and the military brass, but this seems to be uh, an increasing problem, not just in the military, but, you know, the FBI and the CIA, this notion that unelected uh, bureaucrats, but also appointed. I mean, in other words, uh, you know, uh, head of the CIA, head of the FBI have sort of taken it upon themselves to say, I mean, you certainly can look at the investigation uh, into Donald Trump over the uh, you know, so-called Russiagate, uh, but this notion that, that they have a greater wisdom uh, and have a greater authority or are the guardians of the American Constitution, unelected, by the way, uh, that allows them uh, to basically put their thumb on the scale. I mean, that's what's so surprising to me. Uh, there's no question that, that when you look at the things that Comey did, you look at uh, what General Milley's done, their thumb is on the scale. There are certain political leaders that they like more than others, and their institutional interest, whether it's Milley at the Pentagon, whether it's the FBI, their institutional interests are more important than the 
principles of the American Republic. Am I overstating this? Is this more of a white no, problem? And, and, and we've got to a point where, um, you know, I always recommend people, if you want to understand what's going on, go watch that old British sitcom, Yes Minister, that uh, is all about how, uh, and it's, it's uh, yeah. Sir Humphrey Applebottom, and it shows how the civil service just kind of runs the government and runs rings around the ministers and eventually the prime minister of the government. And that's, that's really what we've got going on in Washington, D.C. now. You can, you know, some people call it the deep state, they call it the administrative state. They call it the civil, whatever you want to call it, the permanent bureaucracy class of Washington, D.C. In, um, you know, in, in uh, or even even in kids' books, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, they called it the uh, the minor magicians. They were the minor magicians of the uh, uh, of the evil empire that kind of were, were ruling this when, you know, when Narnia was still under this repressive thing. Schweitzer calls it the permanent political class, which I think is- Permanent uh, political class, yeah. perfect example. And it's it's a clique. And people need to understand this. It's not necessarily left versus right. It's not necessarily Republican, Democrat. It's about power. It's about influence. It's about money. And at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. And so there's there's warring factions of this. You know, there's 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 a sort of the Game of Thrones element of it. But, you know, it's it's if you are not in the club, then you're not allowed to have a say. Then you're not allowed to have a piece of what's going on. And we see this. Great example. Uh, you know, Fauci's also a great example of this, yeah, by the yeah, way. You know, yeah. A guy who um, somehow turns back on. And, and the question of this, uh, there was this this sort of pause on gain-of-function experiment 2014. It comes back on in 2017. And yet when you talk to Peter Navarro, when you talk to anybody who's in the Trump administration, you ask, who was it that actually made the decision to allow that? And, it's, let's see, and it, it really comes down to the fact that it seems that they just kind of made the decision themselves, right? That's a great example, just a small example of how the government bureaucrats just kind of make things up as they go along, that they are self-governing, that they do not have any true oversight anymore. Congress has largely abrogated its oversight role from many of these um, these agencies and these institutions, and they exist by and large. And, and Schumer, I think, said it quite uh, uh, quite frankly, quite candidly. I think he was giving away more than he should back in 2017 when he said, oh, I don't think that Trump should go against these intel agencies because they've got six waves from Sunday to get back at you. And I said, wow, he just, just kind of laying it all out there, man. <laughs> he, he did. And I think, but I think you're exactly right. Right. I think to, to bring it back to, to Millie for a second, I mean, think about this, right? No one's doing their actual job because they're like too busy, like living the lifestyle of the, the benefits that the life that their job entails. Right. So Mark Milley, instead of saying, Hey, you know, what's actually happened on the ground in Afghanistan, he's sitting down for anybody that wants to do a tell-all book. He's going to these dinner parties, right? He's like, yeah, I'll be your source on that. No problem, right? Because he's feathering his political nest and it just seems like that's part of the larger trend. Military leaders used to be in charge of the military. Now it just seems like they're in charge of advancing their own careers. Right. And, and you get this to D.C. And it, and it happens with young congressmen. You see it as well. And, I, you know, and I, every time somebody asks me, oh, Jack, do you want to run for this? I said, my God, no. Good Lord, no. Um, I will say that, you know, you actually broke ground for the drill down. It's the first time we've ever had somebody on this podcast promote their own podcast. So, like, the idea that you have the self-promotional ability, you know, suggests you do have a future in politics. <laughs> Well, I do watch a lot of WWE. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but no, no. Well, I, what can I say? I live in DC. It rubs on but no, it's it's you get this situation where people say they start compromising by saying, well, if I compromise a little bit, then I'm in the system and then I can get in the side and then my foot's in the door and I can change the system from the inside. And then it becomes, well, how can I stay inside this system? Because they're going to push me out of the system. So if I want to be in the room, I need to be in the room and I need to be in the room for the right reasons. And then uh, you that 
that is where it starts. That's always where it starts. And then it becomes a little bit by little bit. And then eventually you get people, you know, after 40 years, 50 years in D.C., um, I didn't mean to mention Joe Biden, but look, here we are, um, that, <laughs> that you have somebody who's completely lost the idea of why they ran for public office, why they committed themselves to public service, why they joined the military in the first place. And they're totally lost within the trappings of the system. And they're more worried about what they can get out of the system than actually serving the people that are governed by it. Yeah, their 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 career in in a sense becomes the end, and to advance their career, they need to have the uh, the institution that they're running uh, protected. Well, your favorite phrase that you use, right, is that that you know, the cesspool becomes a spa. Yeah, this was a, this was an old line that uh, that Bobby Jindal told me when he was in Congress. That's great. He That's said, a great line. Yeah, he yeah. said when you first get to Washington D.C., you see all this stuff going on, and it 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 feels like a cesspool. It just smells and it looks gross, and you stay there a few years, and then it starts feeling like a hot up. Uh, and that's really what you're describing, the sort of sensibilities that you get get offended by or you are frustrated by. Um, and and no, no, I, that- I, I would say, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my Catholic upbringing. I don't know. But I've been here. So April will be 10 years that I've been in Washington, D.C. And I guarantee it to me, it still absolutely feels like a cesspool. Well, that's Absolutely. good. That is good to hear. But when Jack was talking to me, I was immediately immediate because I was thinking about that phrase. So I'm picturing Joe Biden shirtless in a hot tub that's really like a cesspool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that, uh, it's like, no, it's great, guys. War when they were in Vegas with the, um, uh, the the ladies of the night, I believe they're called. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Not that Hunter Biden would ever. <laughs> never, never. Well, we've been... me to cast on Biden. <laughs> well, we have been uh, joined by uh, Jack Basobic, uh, a former naval officer, now journalist. He's a senior editor at Human Events. He does their podcast. I would recommend you check that out. Um, Also got a book out, right? He's also got a book out. Got a children's book. You have a children's book as well. I figured that, you know, if they're going to indoctrinate our kids, we got to indoctrinate them back, right? So, (laughs) no, it's like you go into any one of these you know, mainstream booksellers right now. And it's, you know, the first thing you see is a table full of kids books. If you're at, at, uh, uh, was it books a million Barnes and Noble? I don't, I don't think there are any other ones that are out in the physical space anymore, any brick and mortars, but it's always, you know, books by an Obama, a Clinton, a Harris. Uh, is that not who you want? You don't want them raising your kids, Jack? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I, I, I'm going to say no when it comes to that. So the, the cool thing is, so we, um, I had this this group out of Texas, so you got to love that, reach out and they're called Brave Books. And they said, look, we want to put together a series of, you know, not even necessarily politically conservative, like we're not going to talk about Trump, we're not going to make it, you know, some political thing, but just basic American traditional values taught in a fun way, not a preachy over the top way. Uh, to kids with good stories, with good action, you know, kind of an interlocking series. They call it Brave Books. And we have it up at bravebooks.us. And they said, look, each one is going to tackle a different issue. And they said, Jack, what's something that you want to talk about? Well, I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, what should I talk about? They said, what's something you don't like? And I said, communism. I really don't like (laughs) communism. Can I do a book about communism? They said, yes. Uh, So my background's my background's Polish. My wife was uh, actually born in the Soviet Union, immigrated here 15 years ago. So quite familiar with the experience of communism. And so our book is called, "There's," and remember, it's for kids. So our book yeah. is called, There's No Such Thing as Free Ice Cream. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of taking the old Friedman quote there and putting a spin on it for, for a younger generation. But, you know, and it's it's the story and, you know, and for kids, it's great, right? It's like this 
you know, there's a marketplace and the guy sells ice cream, but then another group comes up and says, hey, if you let put us in charge, your ice cream will be free. Well, we've got this, <laughs> this island back home and it's all free and everything's great. And he says, well, I'm going to go check out that island. And of course, he goes in and it's like a prison island right. and it's got like a Berlin Wall around it. And yes, there is free ice cream, but only for the, uh, the people who run it, not, not for you, not for everybody else. And for anyone who tries to stop, they get, uh, they get punished by catapult off the island. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I just can't and, wait till um, your, your kid's going to be like six or seven and they're going to make, make honor roll and they're going to get to go to some ice cream party. Like, hey, no, you get the free ice cream. You're like, no, I'm good, thanks. I actually love free ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, it's, it's the idea that I mean, it's it's something you, where you can actually go to kids and show them, hey, yep. you know, and have, and there's like a, you know, discussion thing at the end kind of deal. But you actually just have those conversations about, you know, and, and this is this is all I want to introduce. This is all, the only idea I want people to get out of it, is, for kids to get out of it is, when somebody offers you something that sounds too good to be true, it yeah. probably is. There's always a catch, right? And that's it. Just that basic idea of I should be skeptical when someone's offering me something amazing, especially if, you know, and, and it ends up, they end up being wolves. So if you see a pack of wolves, right, know what they look like, know what they sound like, and know that their offer is probably usually bup kiss because it always is. Um, so that one's pretty cool. We've got one, uh, we have one on gender <laughs> issues, and it's called, it's called uh, Elephants Aren't Birds. Birds. Um, so you can you can figure out where we're going with that one. Uh, then they have one called Little Lives Matter. And the next one, um, I wasn't able to talk about this for a while, but it just got announced that we can talk about it. It's going to be on cancel culture. And that's actually Dan Crenshaw is going to be doing that one that comes out in October. So that's going to be really big when that drops. And and it's a series, right? So there's interlocking right. and like the characters show up in different ones and people could get it as a, uh, you know, as a subscription. So it's like, I think it's 12 for the first year. And then it's like a full story that you get. So it's actually pretty cool. And it's just something where, and look, I've got kids, right? I've got a three-year-old and a nine-month-old. Uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, three going on 30, of course, but it's, it's great for them because, and I showed them, he's a little bit too young to kind of get the story, but he can, he likes the action and, you know, catapult, he goes catapult and he keeps trying to catapult things around the house now, um, which is awesome, which I don't know if it's the best advertisement for my book, but look, you got kids, they're going to be throwing <laughs> stuff anyway, they're kids, that's what they do, but it's, no, it's, it's, it's a cool thing and it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's also something where I, I can sit back and say, you know what, you know, a lot of the podcasts I do, a lot of the work I do, it, it tends up being news of the day. It tends up being current events things. Uh, whereas this is something that, you know, you could come back to it in five years, you could come back to it in 10 years, and it's still going to be applicable, right? right. Because it is something that's, you know, it's evergreen, it's timeless. I don't know if it'll be exactly as timeless as, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. We're coming for you, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> well, you're, you're talking about timeless principles, and we need to talk to people about exactly. that very young. It used to be they were first exposed to these uh, these left-wing, destructive, collectivist ideas when they were in college. Then it drifted to high school. Now you're down to elementary school. So we've got to focus on it when they're young. Well, uh, Jack Posobiec, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast here. Um, we would commend to everybody to check out his books, uh, check out his reporting at Human Events, and uh, also check out his podcast. Uh, and we appreciate everybody joining us here on The Drill Down. You can find out more about this podcast and the work we're doing at thedrilldown.com. Thanks so much for joining us.